Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 John. We'll read chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read God's good word together. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm sorry. As someone who rarely, if ever, makes mistakes, that's actually the first time I've ever used those two words. Okay, that's actually not true, and I'm sorry if you are gullible enough to believe it. That was a bad apology. Okay. I'm sorry, I've just had a lot of stress on me lately and tried to come up with a good way to open the sermon, but I've been so busy and there have been so many things not good either. Look, I'm sorry if I can't live up to your astronomical expectations getting worse every time. Okay, Uh, I'm sorry. Better? Okay, all right, we're better. And today we're going to talk about how to have a good apology because apologizing well is hard. And yet it's one of the most important skills if we're going to have deep and meaningful relationships. And so I'm excited to talk with you about that this morning. My name is Pastor Brandon Blackston. I'm the associate pastor here at Acts 2. And it's great to get to share this message with you. And Pastor Mark is out. Um, He had surgery earlier this week and everything went great. He and Chantel are grateful for your prayers. But uh, we have a policy that people who are on pain pills do not come to work, especially if they are preaching. It might create opportunities where they have to say... I'm sorry. And so uh, he's resting today and going to be worshiping with us online, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're continuing our sermon series, Words We Long to Hear. And so um, this is our fourth week, and I want to share with you where we've been. We started out with the phrase, I love you. And what Pastor Mark taught us is that love is authenticated by our actions. Uh, We don't just say I love you, but we actually embody it. We put it into practice and demonstrate it in the way that we live. Um, You know that those words we long to hear, but we long even more deeply to feel them as people live out their love through their actions. And so it started with, I love you. Then we went on to the words, thank you. And what Pastor Mark shared is that thank you, our thank you is authenticated when we share. And it's impossible to be truly grateful and greedy. And so um, that gratitude is authenticated whenever we share with others, whenever we're willing to give thanks and then to share the things that we've been given. And then last week, Pastor Mark shared with us the words, I am with you. And we remember that Jesus is with us always, in all circumstances, in all times, in all places, always. And because of that, we can know that he is with us and embody his peace and his love for others. And so today we're talking about the phrase, I'm sorry. And if you've ever had someone who's um, done something to you and, and you felt like they wronged you, you know what it's like to long for an apology. We, we all long to hear that. Whenever we feel wronged, we long to hear the words, I'm sorry. Uh, whenever something happens to us that, that we regret, we, we want someone to acknowledge that there's been hurt and, uh, and to say that to us. And yet we also know that even though we want to hear it whenever we've been wronged, it can be really hard for us to say it. And so we know the power of an apology, and yet we struggle to actually put them into practice whenever we need to be the ones who give them. And, and here's the power of an apology. An authentic apology can heal a relationship. A bad apology can end one. 
whenever something has gone wrong in a relationship, whenever someone has done something wrong, maybe both parties have, whenever a, a sincere apology takes place, an authentic one, one that seeks to heal, that can really be healing to the relationship. And, and yet if someone apologizes after harm has been done and, and really doesn't acknowledge that anything was wrong, is, is clearly indifferent or, or um, doesn't care, then, then that can really be the beginning of the end of a relationship. And especially if it's something that's happened over and over and over and apologies continue to, to be given without any kind of action, then that relationship is not going to last long. It's certainly not going to be fulfilling if it does. And so we all know what it's like to receive a bad apology. Maybe you've heard them on TV. A lot of times they come whenever um, a public figure, a politician says something they shouldn't have or past actions come to light that they have to explain. And, and you can tell they're only apologizing because their campaign manager or their agent or whoever told them that if they want to still have a job, they need to apologize. But just, just if, in case you need a little bit of help, we'll talk about what does it look like to make a bad apology. Um, as someone who's made a few bad apologies myself, um, not excluding the one about two minutes ago, um, I know a few things about this. And so what makes an apology bad? Well, one of those things is insincerity. If it's clear that the person is just saying it because they have to, that that's clearly not an apology that's going to help the relationship much. It, just not. The second one is blame. You know, sometimes we can apologize in such a way that we don't actually take any responsibility for our own actions, but put it all on the other person. I'm sorry if you were so easily offended that what I said offended you. That's not an apology. That's just a passive-aggressive way of blaming someone. That really doesn't help either. The next one is defensiveness. If we're just apologizing and then get defensive about it, look, I'm sorry, but you have to understand I've been under the gun and I'm really stressed out right now. So if I yelled at you, I'm sorry, but um, you can't really expect anything better right now. Also not a great apology. And then finally, continuation of the behavior. If we say we're sorry for something and then keep doing it, um, it really, see point one, insincerity, it really calls into question whether we actually are sorry because our actions say we are not sorry if we just keep doing it. And so it's important for us to learn how to make good apologies, apologies that are sincere, that don't blame, that aren't defensive, and that actually lead to a change in behavior so that the relationship can, can be healed. And yet they're difficult to do in part because they force us to face our imperfections and to become vulnerable. And so whenever I admit to you that I did something wrong, that I said something to you that was hurtful, I have to confront the fact that I generally think of myself as a kind person, and yet I also said something that was unkind. And those two things don't go together very well. And so that's difficult to do. And I'm also opening myself up in the act of apologizing. And really, um, you can do whatever you want with my apology. You can reject it. You can even say, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised that you said something unkind to me. You're generally an unkind person. And uh, just kind of let me have it. And so anytime that, that we apologize, we're making ourselves vulnerable. And that's difficult, particularly if, if there are other things going on in the relationship, if there's not a lot of trust, if it's somebody we're not close to. That can be really hard. This is what uh, Dr. Harriet Lerner says. She says, we are wired for defensiveness and to protect our favored image of ourself. It's just there's something in us that's wired not to apologize, not to try to heal things whenever we've done, because we, we'd rather defend ourselves, and we'd rather make sure that the way that we like to think of ourselves is preserved, that I don't have to think differently about myself because of my actions. But if you want reconciliation in your life, you have to learn to say, I'm sorry. 
if you want if you want relationships that can be healed, if you want relationships that are really deep and, and can sustain you through difficult times, I, I'm sorry is not something that's optional. It's something that we all have to learn how to say, how to mean, and how to live. And especially at this time in, in our country's life, we've got so much anxiety in the air from, from now eight months living through this pandemic and um, numbers just continue to go up and we've had to make so many changes and it seems like everything is up in the air. And, and then we've just gotten through a contentious election that still has ongoing litigation in the courts and, and there's just so much of that and typically anxiety finds a target. And unfortunately, a lot of times our anxiety finds those who are closest to us as its targets. And so for many of us, we have a lot of things that we probably ought to apologize for. And so now, especially at this time, it's going to be really important for us. If we really want to sustain our families during an anxious time, and if we want to have any hope of unity in our country, learning how to say I'm sorry will be critical. And so apologizing is hard. It's difficult on its own, and, and not just because there's something inherent to apologizing, but we've actually got a deeper problem. And that is, in all of our relationships, we inevitably mess up. We're always going to get something wrong. We're, we're never going to get things all the way right. And, and there's a word for this in the Bible, and that word is sin. And uh, I know that's a happy word that people love to talk about. Sometimes people actually do love to talk about it, usually whenever it's, it's, uh, it's talking about somebody else's sin, not so much our own. But, uh, but it's a word that describes the, the things that we do that are hurtful to our relationships with other people, that harm others, and, and when we fall short of God. And the Greek word, the word that's used in the New Testament, actually comes, uh, the meaning of the word is missing the mark. And you can think of archery, you know, you pull back, um, aim at your target, and you let go, and you just don't hit the target. You know, maybe you're, you're just outside of the bullseye, maybe you didn't even hit the target at all, um, but you didn't, you missed the mark, you, you were trying and let go of it. Now, honestly, sometimes we're not even really trying. We, we see the target in front of us and decide we would rather aim at something else. But, but we miss the mark, we fall short. And that's true in our relationship with others, with our family members, with the people around us, with people we work with. Um, and it's true in our relationship with God. Sometimes we, we're doing the things that God calls us to, we're obedient, we're faithful, and sometimes we're just not interested. We've got other priorities, other things seem um, more entertaining, more comfortable, and, and so we go with those things instead. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the struggle that we have. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. If you've ever tried to start a workout routine or to change your diet, you know exactly what he's talking about. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so this is coming within a larger discussion of what the law means for people who are not Jewish, but have come into the Christian faith, who are believers in Jesus. And this is how he concludes. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so he talks about the, the sin problem that we have, where um, we want to do the right thing, at least sometimes we do, and yet there's just something into us. We give in to temptation. We, we harm the people around us. We choose not to do things that lead to their good, um, but that lead to our good, at least the things that we think are for our good. And what happens is we routinely fail to love God and our neighbor. 
Jesus, when asked what's the most important commandment, uh, summed it up with those two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, even whenever we simplify it so far down, it's still difficult for us to do. We routinely fail to do those things. And so whether it's from carelessness, from unresolved pain, or from malice, sin harms others and damages our relationships. Sometimes we're just not paying attention and we forget someone's birthday. Maybe we don't even know what the date is and we just forget and that hurts. Sometimes we're acting out of some deep pain from our past and and not even realizing what we're doing, but that's the motivation and and that's where it's coming from. And, and, you know, sometimes we say things because we want them to, uh, to have an effect on someone. We want people to know that we're not happy with them. And those things that we do, whatever the source, they hurt our relationships and they hurt others. And it's so important that we learn how to make amends, how to reconcile our relationships. That's, it's important with anyone, but especially with the people who are closest to us. And this is so important that Jesus talks about it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. He says, this is so important. If you're about to make an offering to God, first stop and then go and be reconciled with your brother and sister. And so that's great. We want to be reconciled. Um, For most of us, you know, reconciliation sounds like a pretty good thing, but it's hard in practice. And and so what can we do that will help us to do that? Well, the, the practice that the church has remembered throughout, that the church has recommended throughout the centuries is confession. Confession. And so we see this uh, throughout the scripture, people confessing their sins before God, and, and we even see it in John the Baptist's ministry. And so this is what Matthew says, Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to John and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so they would confess their sins, and as a sign of God's forgiveness of them, as the water washed away the dirt, so their sins were washed away as they confessed. And whenever we confess, when we practice confession, we confess our sins to God and to others. And the purpose of this is not just realizing how bad we are. It's not saying all the awful things we've done and, and feeling how, how wretched we are, what, how totally depraved we are. It's, it's not about that. What confession is really about is not recrimination. It's about restoration. It's about getting rid of the things that are getting in the way of our relationships and setting them aside, acknowledging them, making amends, and then being able to restore the relationship, being restored to God, getting rid of the things that are preventing us from being in relationship with God, and then getting rid of the things that are hurting our relationships with others so that we can care for them, so that we can love them, so that we can fulfill those great commandments that Jesus gave to us. There are a variety of ways that the church has practiced this over the years. If you've come out of a Roman Catholic tradition, uh, you may recognize confession as something that's done between an individual and a priest in a confessional booth in a more formal way. Um, if you came from a different tradition, you might, that might be something that's practiced directly just in prayer between the individual and with God. But it's been done a variety of ways. And, and two of those ways in church practice that we've practiced confession are at communion and at evening prayer. And so in many, um, in many ways of practicing communion and many liturgies, um, before taking communion, there's a confession of sin and pardon. And again, that's not just because we need to recognize how bad we are, but I think about it as going to a family dinner. 
And if you've gotten into a fight with somebody in your family and then you try to sit down face-to-face at dinner, it's, it's difficult to be comfortable at that dinner. And in fact, the rest of the table is probably going to feel the tension as well. But if we make amends beforehand, then we can actually enjoy the meal. Then we can enter back into fellowship. And so whenever we come to communion, uh, particularly as we've practiced it here, we've had to make some changes due to COVID-19. But uh, if you came here in February and our sanctuary and worshiped, um, what you'd experience is we would um, remember the last night when Jesus had supper with his disciples. We'd pray over the elements. And then you'd be invited to come down and to kneel at our, at our kneeling rail and to enter into prayer. And at that time, one of the things that you can do is to confess the things that have gotten in the way of your relationship with God, the areas where you've fallen short. Not so that you can feel bad about them, not so that you can revel in your wretchedness, but so that you can be restored, so that you can be reconciled with God and then reconciled with the people around you. We also practice this at evening prayer, and this is true in communities of, um, of monastic communities and also true for traditions that just practice um, prayer at set hours during the day. But one of the practices at evening, we sit down, take stock of the day, and look back at um, the things that God has done and also the ways that we've fallen short. And we confess those things so that whenever we lay our head down to the pillow, we can do so in peace, knowing that God has heard our confession and forgiven us. And so how do we do confession well? How do we do that well? Well, when we're confessing to God, this is where we can start. We get uh, some guidance from St. Alphonsus of Liguori. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. But he says, for a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. So we start with examining our conscience, uh, really making ourselves aware of, of the things that, that um, have gotten in the way, of the ways that we've sinned and fallen short. And then sorrow again. Uh, this sounds like it's about feeling bad, but it's really not. What it's about is recognizing the weight of what we've done, recognizing that our actions have an effect. Whenever I say something careless and hurt somebody in my family, that has an effect. And in, by feeling sorrow about that, I'm, I'm not making myself feel bad just for the sake of it, but recognizing the effects of my actions and the effects they have on others. And then the third one is a determination to avoid sin. Uh, Recognizing that it's good to confess our sins, but uh, we're also not just going to keep confessing the same thing, but with God's grace and help, we're going to actually live in a different way so that we don't have to continue making the same confession, that we're going to live differently as a result. Adam Hamilton phrases it somewhat differently um, in his book on forgiveness. He says, the, the four steps are awareness of the wrong done, regret for the pain and harm caused, confession and a request for forgiveness and restoration, and change or a real effort to avoid committing the wrong again. And part of the reason we do that is because if we're really sincere, we won't keep making the same mistakes. That doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly, but we actually, if we're sincere in our confession, in our apology, we'll actually live differently as a result. And then this is what First John says, as we heard earlier, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The things that we carry around, and as we talked about earlier, whenever we recognize things that we've done wrong that conflict with who we really want to think we are, we, we try to deny those, but they still weigh down on us. We're still aware of them. It's not like they just go away if we pretend like they're not there. And yet whenever we confess, whenever we lift those things up to God and offer them to God in Jesus' name, 
we're set free. God sets us free and offers us forgiveness. When we confess our sins to God, God is always faithful to forgive. And all the weight that we have carry around from, um, from guilt, from um, not being the people that we wish we were, from people we've let down, we can set that down. We can be free. And we can rest in God's peace and forgiveness. And so we confess our sins to God so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be healed, so that we can be whole. And we can also experience that healing, not just on our own one-on-one with God, but also by confessing our sins to other Christians, by, by gathering trusted people around us whom we can share those things so that they can give us counsel and so that we will know that we're not alone, that the burdens that we carry are not ours alone, but that we have trusted people around us who love us and who will walk with us as we seek to make amends. This is what James says. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And as we confess those things to one another, we, we can experience a powerful healing grace as we embody for one another God's forgiveness. We can actually help people experience God's gracious love and forgiveness. I once attended a church in Memphis. It had been officially closed, but the building was converted to office space for nonprofits, and there was a group that still gathered there for worship every week. And uh, there was a, a part in the service that they practiced each week called the passing of the peace. You may have experienced it before. And in some places, that basically just means the greeting time. It's a fancy name for that that sounds better than shake hands and talk about the football scores from the day before. But here it meant something different. It was actually a time when when people would go to one another and pass the peace of Christ. And I quickly found out while I was there that that the, the passing of the peace was not over until everyone had hugged everyone else. I know some of you are cringing right now if you're not touchy-feely people, but it was a powerful expression of God's forgiveness and, ex- and acceptance that we were able to provide for one another as we pass the peace of Christ. And so whenever we share our sins with, with other people, that might just be one trusted person. It's not something to do lightly or um, with people who can't keep confidence, um, but it is a way that we, they can actually embody for us and we for them the forgiveness of Christ. And so we've talked about confessing to God. We've talked about uh, confessing to, to people the things that we've done wrong. How do we actually make a good apology? How do we confess to other people that we've wronged? Well, here are a few ways that we can do that. And we get help again from Harriet Lerner. This is what she says. The good apology requires that we take clear and direct responsibility for what we've said or done or failed to say or do without any ifs or ands or buts and without bringing up the other person's crime sheet. I love the way that she says that. It's sometimes tempting whenever you apologize to to retort with, but you did all of these things. That's really not helpful. That doesn't make for a good apology. And so here's what that looks like. Here are a few ways that we can do that. We acknowledge specifically the hurtful behavior without making excuses. Not just, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, um, or I'm sorry for the thing I did wrong, or I'm sorry for being the husband that I am, but specifically the things that, that, that happened, showing that you acknowledge that, um, that the thing was hurtful, that it actually affected the other person. 
And then listen without defensiveness, particularly if, if they want to share with you how that affected them. That's the time to listen, not to acknowledge that they had a part in it, too, and they need to, to accept that. Um, you know, that may be true. It may be 80 percent theirs and 20 percent yours. But but what we're talking about is still owning that 20 percent. We own the part that's ours. And and apologies are not about getting them to own their part. That's not what a good apology is about. We own our part and we listen without defensiveness. Then asking how we can make amends, you know, what, what can I do to make this up to you? How, how can I heal our relationship? And so, you know, maybe that's I backed over your mailbox. May I replace your mailbox? May I pay for it to be replaced? If there are larger things, if there's been a breach of trust, if there's been infidelity, if there have been other things, that the, the making amends process may um, be a lot longer. And frankly, it may not be possible. The person may not have any desire to make amends. But we ask so that we can reconcile insofar as it depends on us. And then we change the offending behavior. Around our house, one of our rules is that uh, the person who cooks does not have to do the dishes. And so my wife, Courtney, does most of the cooking. And so um, what's the right way to say it? Not I do most of the dishes, but most of the time doing the dishes is my job. And once or more, I have not gotten around to doing the dishes after dinner. And, and so being a wonderful husband who actually does know how to apologize, I say, I'm sorry. But whenever I say once or more, I actually mean quite a few times. And, and after a while, whenever I say I'm sorry for not doing the dishes, she does not want to hear it anymore. Do you know what she wants? She wants me to do some dishes because my sorry doesn't mean anything if I don't change my behavior. Whenever we talk about this in the Bible, the word that we use is repentance. It means turning around, changing our behavior, changing our ways, turning our back on the way that we were doing things, on the way that we were living, and turning toward the way of love, loving our neighbors and loving God. And what we find, and I think what is true in my experience and probably in yours as well, is that our apology is authenticated by our repentance. If an apology is really sincere, then, then we live differently as a result. doesn't mean we'll live perfectly. We're still sinners in need of grace. But we live differently whenever we repent. And so apologies are challenging. They're difficult to live out well. And yet there are a few ways that we can do that. And I want to challenge you to try out these action steps this week. First, I challenge you to confess your sins to prayer and God each night this week. To spend some time before you go to bed and reflect on the day. And reflect on the ways that, that you fell short. Maybe there are things that in the moment you, you knew that was not what you should have done. And maybe it's not something you even realized at the time. But reflect on those things. Confess them to God. And then enjoy your rest, knowing that you are resting in God's forgiveness. Because he is faithful to forgive us through Jesus Christ. And then I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you've probably got a few people that you might need to say I'm sorry to. And so identify one of those and then apologize to them with a good apology, not a bad one. But find that person and apologize so that you can make amends and so that your relationship can move forward. And then finally, identify an area of your life in which you need to repent. Most of us have lots of them, areas in which we repeatedly fall short and know we need to make a change and just haven't made it happen. If it's something that you're constantly finding yourself um, confessing, whether that's um, um, neglecting your relationship with God, whether that's never doing the dishes, whatever that is, repent. 
Find an area in which you need to repent, repent and actually do it. And so as we put this into practice, my hope for you is that uh, apologizing, even if it doesn't come easy, will become a habit that you practice over and over as often as necessary. Because God makes it possible for us to experience wholeness, to experience restoration in our relationships, to experience God's grace and forgiveness, and to experience reconciliation even with family members that we've disappointed, that we've hurt, who have disappointed and hurt us. And we can do it all because we're assured of God's forgiveness. That no matter what, no matter what we think of ourselves, no matter what we've done, that Jesus offers forgiveness to each and every one of us. And even if the person we're apologizing to doesn't accept us, we can still rest in God's acceptance. We're going to talk a little bit more about what comes after I'm sorry next week when we talk about the phrase, I forgive you. So now I want to invite you to practice what we've been talking about. Let's take a moment and just spend some time in prayer before God. And I just invite you, if there are things that, that, are, um, that you need to confess, to take this time to do it. So I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and just to take a deep breath and, and just silently confess before God. Now I invite you to pray the prayer that's on your screen together with me. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed. But some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. And friends, the good news is that we can rest in peace because we know that in Jesus Christ, we are offered forgiveness no matter what. And we confess our sins in full acknowledgement and acceptance of God's acceptance of us. And so, as children of God, I invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.